Welcome to Working for Women, the independent women's forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hi, I'm Julie Gunlock, a policy director at the Independent Women's Forum and your host for today's Working for Women podcast. Today, I'm here with Paul Blair, who's the Strategic Initiatives Director at the Americans for Tax Reform, which is a Washington, D.C.-based advocacy organization founded by Grover Norquist in 1985. Uh, They work to reform Americans' tax system so that it's simpler, flatter, more visible, and lower, lower taxes than they are today. So that's a great organization. Welcome, Paul. Thanks for having me. Paul, we're here today not really to talk about taxes, um, although I guess it's all related to government taking things that we like. Um, We're here today to talk about a product that has helped millions of Americans and really people worldwide quit smoking. Um, These products are known as e-cigarettes or vape products. um, And sadly, um, and I want to talk about this further in the podcast, but these products are under attack by Washington. In fact, because of a new regulation that was passed last year, it looks like most vape products are going to disappear. Many vape shops um, are going to close. Um, and people who love these products, people who use these products uh, to quit a very dangerous habit, that is smoking traditional cigarettes, um, are going to be without these products. And again, I think the worry from a, from a lot of folks who are watching this issue is that people without the products that they love will then return to traditional uh, cigarettes. So we'll, we'll really lose the gains um, that we that that have happened because of these products. Um, so we're going to talk about that. But before we get too much into the regulatory conversation, Paul, you know a lot about this issue. You've been working on this issue for years, and I, I hope we can touch a little bit on the tour that you did as well. Um, but can you explain what is I, – I think there's a lot of people who are unfamiliar with this issue. They think vaping and e-cigarettes are cigarettes, which is completely false. Um, so if you, if you could sort of explain the technology a little bit, how does it work, what is an e-cigarette, and how does it differ from traditional cigarettes? Sure. So if you haven't used an e-cigarette and you've really only ever seen someone use one, um, there are types that certainly can look like cigarettes. Um, and that when someone vapes or uses one, it can produce uh, a aerosolized vapor that can look like smoke. But it is not even close uh, to to what a traditional cigarette is. Um, there are thousands of different types of products that a consumer can try, but the general principle is relatively simple. It's a battery that heats uh, a liquid that can contain nicotine um, that is aerosolized into uh, a vapor. And so, a consumer who uses them uses them, um, and generally in the U.S. it's uh, nearly everyone that uses them um, who's an adult is, is a current or former smoker, can get a nicotine fix without any of the carcinogens or tar or harmful chemicals um, that are in cigarettes. And so it's an innovative technology product that because of how it looks and because of how it appears, um, and certainly a wide range of other reasons, has been targeted in the same way that cigarettes have. Uh, with regards to taxes and regulation. But it's a, it's a very simple concept. Um, you know, their availability has skyrocketed in the last couple of years. It started, at, started off as kind of a hobby for a number of consumers um, and now has grown to a product that more than 10 million adults in the U.S. use. And so it, it is a very simple, innovative product that is under regulatory and tax assault across the U.S. at the local, 
state right. and most recently federal level. Well, we'll get more into that. And again, I really do want to talk about the regulations. But again, I'm not quite done with these questions about how this technology works. Because yeah, I, yeah. I, I have to say, I'm sort of new to this issue. Um, I've just recently started focusing on it and writing on it. I find it fascinating. And actually, enrage, it enrages me that, um, that these products might actually be unavailable to people now, given all the benefits of them. But I want to, again, um, just go back on what you said. You said, you know, some of them contain nicotine. Not all of them contain yeah. nicotine, though, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as a consumer, and what's, what's wonderful about the product um, category is that there are so many different products on the market. Say you're a two-pack-a-day smoker. Well, you obviously use a lot more nicotine throughout the day than someone right. who is an occasional smoker or a one-pack-a-day smoker. And so, um, you know, the I have met countless consumers who smoked multiple packs of cigarettes a day and started using e-cigarettes that had a relatively high or higher level of nicotine and then over months and over years uh, transitioned to lower levels of nicotine and then yeah. some of them um, completely transitioned away from nicotine because it's the social behavior it's the interaction with the product um, and so yeah I mean a, a lot of the products do contain no. nicotine um, which, which isn't a carcinogen and isn't what is dangerous about smoking cigarettes uh, but right. not all of them do and there's a there's a customizable experience that a consumer can choose uh, about the sort of products that they use, which is why they've taken off. It's interesting you use the word customizable experience. That's something that the government really hates. They hate they hate that kind of thing where consumers have a lot of choices and can kind of customize things. I found that as I've worked on regulatory issues, it's funny how when consumers are given more choice, that's when the government regulators get really itchy. So I'm not surprised that they're they're um, they're starting to like freak or they have taken notice of this industry that again gives consumers so many choices. But I think it's really important to just focus a little bit on the nicotine. I think what a lot of people don't understand is that when uh, there was this phase quote about how people smoke for the nicotine but they die of the tar and and yeah. there's this and there's this I think for a lot of people who don't understand it is that you know most people are they're not addicted to to the cigarette itself they're addicted you know the, nicotine is an addictive substance and so you you use it's the vehicle to get that it's the delivery system to get that nicotine in your body which is so dangerous the nicotine itself though isn't dangerous Paul, isn't nicotine, and I, again, like I'm new to this issue and I'm reading all this stuff, but it's true that nicotine is an, it's, a, it's similar to coffee. It, it might make your heart race a little bit or make you wake up a little bit, but it's really not itself any, in any way harmful. Yeah, to, to an adult, um, nicotine itself um, is, is uh, I think it's fair to equate it with caffeine um, in coffee. I mean, it is it can be addictive depending on uh, the use. I mean, honestly, uh, there's there's a lot of science that suggests it's the other chemicals in cigarettes that enhances the addictive properties of nicotine, and that e-cigarettes are actually less addictive. They're not as good right. um, at at delivering that experience. Delivering. Um, but but yeah, absolutely, it is uh, that that quote about you know the, the nicotine um, you smoke for the nicotine you die from the tar is just as true today as it was you know decades ago, and it is not the element, uh, the chemical in cigarettes that makes them dangerous. And um, certainly that's, that's why it's gotten a lot of attention uh, for e-cigarettes and vapor products. Uh, but it is not, uh, you know, the, the thing that causes uh, all of the cancer. illness, cancer and disease associated with traditional cigarette use. Well, again, I think for the listeners who aren't familiar with this, this was really relevatory for me that I, you know, when you realize that there's a way to, 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 to get 
nicotine to get that nicotine fix without the harm of combustion of fire of heat of smoke into your lungs um which you know when you when you burn a cigarette it releases you know a number of chemicals that then go into your lungs without without that you can still have um, a nicotine delivery system that's less harmful that's why a lot of these products are called harm reduction products because uh, you know and and Paul you can you can probably tell us about this there have been studies that have said that it's 95% less harmful um than traditional cigarettes so i think we need to put this in perspective i mean of course you know of course, you know, the public health advocates would say you should have no bad habits, right? You should never drink a soda. You should never have a cocktail. You should never do this or that. But the bottom line is that there are pleasurable things out there that people want to have. And if we can find a, a reduced, uh, a, a way that reduces the harm associated with those habits, that's that's certainly good. Um, let's get a little bit into the vaping industry itself. I, I, I'm hoping, Paul, that you can give me a snapshot of what it looks like. You know, are these are, are we talking about the big tobacco companies that are producing this, or or, or what? You know, who who actually produces these products? Sure. So uh, the industry has grown a lot in recent years. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there are about 10 million adult consumers who use these products. Compare that to about 40 million adult smokers, 40 million adult smokers in the U.S. Um, so there are, uh, if depending on where you live in the country, where you may be listening, um, you know, the concentration of retail locations where these products is available varies by state and by community. But there are estimates that suggest there are something like 15,000 vape shops. And so these are retail locations where you can buy different types of electronic cigarettes and the liquids and the different components of the devices across the U.S. So these are retail locations that didn't exist five, six years ago because e-cigarettes didn't really take off in the U.S. until really after 2009. And so it started um, as, as a hobbyist creation, um, largely in California, but certainly some manufacturing in China. Uh, but the market in the U.S. is largely non-tobacco company products. And so certainly the tobacco companies began to sell these products in recent years. If you've ever been to a 7-Eleven or a convenience store, a lot of the, some of the products that you see there are sold by tobacco companies. But they only sell about a third of the products available on the market in the U.S., the larger part of the pie are these non-tobacco companies, independent entrepreneurs, largely former smokers who found these products and wanted to help other people uh, quit smoking with these products. And so those range from the retail stores and locations to thousands of manufacturers uh, who produce wow. these products. Um, and yeah, and so it, it is largely an independent business. Um, and certainly tobacco companies sell some products, but they are sure. um, honestly being outcompeted. Um, by their small and medium-sized competitors who offer a wider variety of products. Well, aren't you – this is perfect. You gave me the perfect segue into talking about why these vape shops are under um, under threat. Um, you, you know, I think a lot of people – think of any kind, you know, it's, it really annoys me um, when people, I, I actually I actually don't like the word e-cigarette because I don't really think, I mean, there's no tobacco in these products and yet people assume that they're cigarettes because, uh, so I, yeah. that kind of drives me nuts and I, I feel like that's a whole nother, you know, podcast <laughs> that we could discuss yeah, yeah, yeah. that and, and, and like the creation of that really bad name for marketing purposes, but um Yep. So you, so you, you, and and I think a lot of other people that are sort of watching the regulatory sort of landscape here are worried about vape shops. Tell us a little bit of 
why are the okay so you know it's funny i feel like we've we've established we've had this for any listener out there you're probably thinking at this point like why in the world would these products be under threat so paul tell us a little bit about the regulatory landscape what's been happening over the last couple of years and why are i mean we're we're really at a critical state here um we're looking at within months many of these vape shops could close sure so in may of last year may of 2016 um, the Obama administration's Food and Drug Administration uh, officially uh, deemed or declared or defined vapor products as tobacco products. And if it was only a debate about definitions and that was something that could make them feel good about themselves, that'd be fine. Unfortunately, with that change in the definition of tobacco products, um, vapor products are now subject to a 2009 passed law the Tobacco Control Act, the Family Smoking Prevention and Tobacco Control Act, which set up a number of onerous barriers to the introduction of new tobacco products. And so the law more or less in 2009 was designed to prevent new tobacco products from entering the market. Every product that was on the market was grandfathered in. You didn't have to get permission from the FDA. You didn't have to go through a pre-market review to introduce a new product. If you were on the market before that law passed, you were good to go. So every cigarette on the market avoided review. When the FDA last year changed the definition, they imposed a retroactive pre-approval process whereby every vapor product manufacturer and every product on the market that hit the market since, that, since before that law passed which because the product didn't exist before that law passed, is all of them. They have to go through a very, very expensive process called the pre-market tobacco application process. And that process is extremely expensive. It is extremely burdensome. Um, but even if you could afford the cost and had the time to go through this process, um, because the process was designed to give the FDA, ultimately at the end of the day, the ability to pick whether you could stay on the market, um, it more or less by mid to late next year, um, unless Congress acts or unless the FDA and HHS act, uh, will lead to prohibition for about 99% of all products on the market. And so wow. those 15,000 retailers, the thousands of manufacturers, uh, because the regulatory barriers are so high and so expensive and so onerous, um, they, will, uh, they will disappear. That is, it's, it's, it's incredibly troubling. And I, and I think we need to remember that means that people, you know, I, I often think of people who live in rural areas, you know, who will not have some of these vape shops that are in more rural areas. You know, they don't, they, there might be a vape shop that still exists, but it's in a more of an urban area. Um, but people in the, in rural areas will really, really miss out on this. Um, uh, what are some of the, the, things that people are working on to address this and offer some relief to this industry? Sure. So I think there are two approaches that um, the industry and consumers and those who have been working on these issues have taken. Uh, the first has been um, to include language into the congressional appropriations process, into the budget um, that reins in some of uh, the FDA's decision last year. And so as I mentioned, when the Tobacco Control Act passed in 2009, it more or less it grandfathered in every tobacco product that was on the market 
before 2007 when the bill was introduced. And so there's a bipartisan effort by Congressman Tom Cole of Oklahoma and Congressman Sanford Bishop of Georgia, Bishop the Democrat, that will modernize what's known as the predicate date. And so that date is just the 2007 date where the Tobacco Control Act was introduced, and if you were on the market before, then you avoided pre-market review. And so what, what this language says is that if you are currently selling a product to consumers that is helping smokers quit, you do not have to go through, or in, in August of 2016, if you were selling products, and that's when the regulation officially kicked in, then you don't have to go through this expensive and onerous and impossible pre-market review process. And it is a bipartisan effort, um, and it was included in the fiscal year 17 agriculture appropriations bill that unfortunately did not make it into the omnibus package. But it's a bipartisan effort, um, and that's on the legislative front. On the administrative front, um, because we have a new political climate uh, in D.C., and I think folks at the Food and Drug Administration very quickly uh, are more supportive of the concept of tobacco harm reduction. There's also an effort uh, to perhaps undo or rein in or delay some of the deadlines associated with status quo and regulation. Um, so, so uh, for for the listeners who who um, who are a little bit confused by this, basically what Paul is saying is that there work many people in DC are working on on ways in which both legislatively and going directly to the FDA to try to bring some sort of relief to this. Um, but I think for listeners, you also have to, um, you know, to know that, that this is a significant issue, and it's a significant issue um, from a health perspective, um, from a smoking cessation perspective, that, that, you know, we still have, you know, thousands of Americans in this country that die every year from smoking-related um, health problems and, and who continue to smoke and don't want to and are looking for other methods. Now, look, if you look at the FDA website, I, I am currently writing a policy paper on, on, on this whole issue. And it was so funny. I was doing some research, and if you go to the FDA website, it gives you two options to quit smoking. I'm not kidding you. One is willpower, <laughs> and two are, are – they actually said that. I couldn't believe it. I mean, are they insane? Like, can you imagine telling an alcoholic, yeah. like, oh, well, hey, you know, just try really hard, white, yeah. white knuckle it through, yeah. through all – you know, every yeah. Evening, um, it's just crazy that the assistance and the, the the things that they that are available to alcoholics and to other addicts, but medication, pharmaceuticals, everything under the sun is, un, is seems to be available for these what people consider, I guess, more serious addictions. Um, but here you have it's, technology. I mean, the 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 quit or die mentality yeah. isn't new, but in 2017, where we have innovative technology products that provide an alternative, a less harmful alternative. Yep. Even if someone listening to this has never smoked, has no interest in, uh, in tax or regulatory policy in the tobacco world, what, what should offend the sensibilities of anyone who is a, a free market conservative or libertarian or anyone on the center right is that the federal government and state governments and those who believe they know better than us provide consumers with two options. Try yep. really, really hard um, and and quit or or suffer the consequences of not being able to. There's no maybe there are products in the middle that are far less hazardous that we can embrace. And so it is it is among the most offensive uh, recent examples of ivory tower elitists and bureaucrats telling us that's, that they know better than us and that the free absolutely. market absolutely couldn't have a solution. 
Absolutely. The free market here, innovation is helping people more than any of these sort of government approved uh, uh, products. Um, the market really did work here, and yet you have a government uh, government now trying to shut it down. It's incredibly galling. And people, I think, freedom-loving people, no matter where you are politically, need to understand that this is this is where government intervention really harms, and in fact, kills. Um, I, I really think that that people need to be aware. Of that. Paul, thank you so much for for informing us on this issue. I think it's Absolutely. one of the most critical issues. Paul is doing a lot of great work. Paul, if you could um, tell them a little bit more about where to find you. I know you write on these issues. And maybe if you could just give them a snapshot of the tour you did and, some, and, and you know, ATR's website and all that stuff. Sure. Um, so it is certainly one of the most interesting issues that I and we work on at ATR, um, but certainly our website, ATR.org. Uh, or if you're interested in all of the content we put out on this issue exclusively, StopVapeTaxes.org um, aggregates all of the content that we do. Uh, but it's been a very, very interesting issue to work on. We've worked with a lot of new organizations and groups who may not have been politically involved in the center-right world until this issue, but because they represent consumers who use these products or businesses who sell these products, um, they have worked very closely with us to, work, to fight back against government. And uh, a lot of them in October of last year organized a national bus tour, the Right to Vape tour. Uh, they stopped by, uh, I, think, I think we went through 20, 21 or 22 states during the uh, elections last year, organizing consumers and businesses uh, to register to vote. Uh, maybe some subtle reminders on who uh, they should or shouldn't vote for, given how helpful or unhelpful they were on these issues, uh, but generally to raise, raise awareness about the uh, federal regulations that stand to put them all out of business. And so uh, it, was a, it was a fun experience. Um, it's been a really interesting issue to work on because we have brought so many new uh, conservative and libertarian activists who are just so outraged they've been targeted by the government into the fold, um, and certainly right. folks who want to Follow, follow my commentary and opining on these subjects can follow me on Twitter, too, at GoPaulBlair. And, and Paul's really funny on Twitter, too, so he'll occasionally put up totally random weird things, so he's very funny. But um, I, will also, I will also say, um, and, and, and uh, I, I think I'd be remiss if I, I didn't say that, um, you know, you really should check out those websites because there's some, I mean, gut-wrenching, heartbreaking uh, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I cry at coffee commercials, so I mean, maybe, maybe I'm the exception here, but I mean, some really amazing testimonials from people who have quit smoking, people who have said, I tried everything, I, I, I've been smoking for my, my family, everyone has tried to get me to, I can't, I know it was bad for me, I couldn't stop, and finally, I found a problem. I mean, this is, people need to understand how, important these products are to people who were who were really engaging in a dangerous habit and so um so i really encourage everyone to check out paul's writing on this um there's videos of his bus tour and interviews um about this issue um and again paul thanks so much for all your work on this issue absolutely thanks for having me on the show well this has been another edition of the working for women podcast check out iwf.org for more videos and more content thanks so much if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by iwf.org for similar content.